0: and happy sunday before thanksgiving thank you for joining us here today at the well we are in the finale of a series called blind faith where we are talking about the signs that jesus performed and whether or not as the video just said do we as christians are is our faith blind or is it so much more than that so much better than that but before we get into that thanksgiving is approaching and like i said happy thanksgiving in advance we're happy that you're spending your pre-thanksgiving sunday with us thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays Okay, and it should be one of yours as well. It's the only holiday that has a very, not only holiday, but I'm saying one of the holidays that has a very spiritual Christian undertone, which is we gather around a table and we thank God for all the stuff that he has given to us. I hope that you and your family and loved ones get a chance to do it on Thursday. But let's let's change Thanksgiving a little bit and let's say that instead of gathering around a table and thanking God for all he's done, let's say we were gonna gather around a table and ask God questions. Let's say we're going to gather on our table on, on Thursday, and we're going to ask God those questions that, things that we've always wanted to get answered, but we've never gotten a good answer to our questions. What would you ask? What mysteries would you like to know the answer to? What hidden things would you love to say, hey, God, now that I got you here, tell me, why? What would you ask? Would you ask, what did the world look like before creation? tell me how that whole creation thing happened because i i just can't wrap my mind around it i can't wrap my mind around a time when there was nothing and then all of a sudden there was something what between nothing and something was it like a bang was it lightning was it like lights going on all around was there like a drum roll like what happened when there was nothing and then something or maybe you'd say explain some of the mysteries that that people haven't been able to solve like who really killed jfk we want to know the answer to that question tell us about this global warming thing there's a lot of discussion apparently whether it's real or not real give us the answer or, based on last week, tell us how a fax machine really works. Barna Group, who does all kinds of surveys, took a survey, and they asked people across a wide spectrum of beliefs, if you could ask God one question. And overwhelmingly, there was one, with, with all my due respect to those other questions, there was one question that was far, far, far away, the number one question people would ask God if they had the chance, and that is this. Why would a good God allow bad things to happen? You've asked this before, right? Why would a good God allow bad things to happen? Why would a God who's so loving allow so much evil in this world? We've all asked it. And if we're honest, for some of us, this is kind of like where our faith started to go down. Because we saw stuff, maybe we experienced stuff, and we couldn't come up with an explanation. If God is able to, why didn't he? If God could have stopped it, why didn't he? And for some of us, if we're honest, this is kind of where, like I said, we're really struggling with this and we don't know how to get past this. Well, I think if you're going to be fair, I'm a logical person, analytical person, okay, so follow me here on this one. If you're going to be fair and you're going to ask this question, which is a fair question to ask, how could a good God allow suffering to innocent people? How could a good God allow pain or sickness to my mom or my child or my grandma, whatever it may be? That's a fair question to ask. If you're going to ask, how could a good God allow bad? You know, there's two kinds of bad. There's bad out there. Then if we're honest, there's also bad in here, isn't there? Like we've all done bad, haven't we? We've all done things that, that, that other people, we've all done things that other people would classify as bad on our end. So I'm gonna reframe this question, okay? And I'm gonna ask you, have you ever done anything bad? Have you ever been the subject of someone else's question, how could a good God allow that to happen to me? Have you ever caused pain to anybody else? You ever hurt anybody else intentionally, unintentionally? Have you ever, no raising hands on this one, but have you ever wanted to, but didn't because you know the consequences, you'd lose a job, lose a friend, maybe go to jail, like who knows what it may be. But maybe some of us, if we're honest, like deep inside, if we knew we could get away with it, There'd be a lot of bad that we would have done. So therefore, if we're going to be honest, if we're going to be honest and ask the question how good God allowed bad to happen, I'm going to ask it this way. How could a good God allow me to happen? No one asked that. No one asked that question. No one looks at it and says, "How could a good God allow? Because we are like, no, Father Anthony, we're talking about the bad done to me. But I'm fair, as fair. And if we're going to say, God, we want God to eliminate all evil, well, then he'd also have to eliminate me and you, you and you and you and you and you and your grandma and, 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 and all the stories of the saints and that really nice person. I'd have to eliminate all of them. Thankfully for us, that's not how God works. God has a better system for us. God has a better system of dealing with evil in this world and he does not eliminate the evil in this world. He's got a much better way. Like I said, we're in the finale of this series called Blind Faith. We're looking at the signs of the gospel of John. Jesus, when he came to this earth, did lots of many, 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 many things. And we usually look at them as kind of random acts. He just happened to heal someone here, happened to walk on water here, got hungry, so made the five loaves and two fish and to feed a lot of people. Well, John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John, the fourth gospel writer says, well, actually, I knew him pretty well. And what you see as kind of random acts of kindness, just kind of miracles just done for the sake of, I see it completely different. I saw that they were signs, and Jesus had a plan, okay? He didn't heal every sick person, but he healed that one because it was a sign. He was pointing to his identity, pointing to who he was. He didn't cure every blind person, but he did that one because it was a sign. Jesus did things with a plan, and what we're seeing is St. John, at the end of his life, when he writes his gospel, says, I'm an old man. I saw a lot of things that caused me to believe, and now I want to share that with future generations, and we who live in the year 2019 say thank you so much, because what you shared has been so beneficial and helpful for me to understand who the son of God really is. And he dictates this gospel, okay, because he was old, he could have written it, but most people say he probably dictated it. And he, from the very start, says, I know this issue of good and evil, like I get it. So let me just, from the very start of my gospel, explain to you that God doesn't eliminate evil when he wants to deal with it. The very first, the first chapter of John, chapter, of the gospel of John, chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's talking about the Logos, the Son of God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things are made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Hold on to that expression. John, John used that a lot. In him was life, that he just brought life. Okay, before knowing him, there was, there was, it was just death all around, but he brought life. And him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Here's our key thought for today based on that verse, that the light shines in the darkness. God doesn't remove darkness. God enters into it with us. God doesn't remove evil, pain, suffering, hurt. God doesn't remove those things. We want him to, at least we think we do. Until, like I said, we naturally go to the end of that discussion, which means he'd have to eliminate us. He'd have to eliminate everyone around us. And that's not God's way. God doesn't eliminate darkness. He enters into it. And he brings with him light, love, grace, goodness. That's what John is saying. He's saying, y'all weren't there. I was there. I was there. I saw a dark world. There was darkness everywhere. There was evil everywhere. The Romans were evil. The Jewish people, the hierarchy had become corrupt. There was darkness. There was no prophet in the land. It was dark, dark, as dark could be. And I saw evil, and I saw sinful, and I saw it everywhere. And then he came, and he was light, and he was different than everybody else. And in fact, not only did he not remove the evil from the world, he, in fact, seemed to bring it on himself because no one faced more evil than he faced. And people who were, we were his followers. We were the people who loved him and he could have protected us from it all. But he allowed us to face evil and pain and suffering. So what John is saying is that God doesn't prove that he's God by eliminating evil. God proves that he's God by shining light and goodness and love in the midst of that evil. So for you who asked the question, why does good God allow evil? Why does good God allow pain? Why does good God allow suffering? What John would say is, hold your horses there before you go too far down that track. Hold your horses. Because if you'd have seen what I seen and you'd have heard what I heard, you'd have understand that a good God and an evil world are not contrary to one another. The evil world does not negate the goodness of God. It does not disprove his existence. In fact, it actually becomes a means by which he shines his light even brighter. And John would say, if you don't believe me, if you don't believe me, let me tell you a story about a day in a city called Bethany, just a couple miles outside of Jerusalem that changed everything. We'll pick up the story here. We're in John chapter 11 today. We left off last time, it it was here last week. In John chapter nine, we read the story of Jesus, how he healed that blind man. And that was in Jerusalem. And remember how we talked about how Jesus spent his whole life or his public life kind of between two areas, the north, which is Galilee, and then the south, which was Jerusalem or Judea. And he would go between the two. The north, easy, calm. That's where he would do things like walk on water, feed the 5,000. Okay, that's where he did a lot of his teaching, sermon on the mount. People there were a lot more friendly. Down the south, that's where all the drama happened. And he would stay up here for a little bit. and he'd go down there and he'd rile him up and he'd heal that paralyzed man. And they'd be like, we're gonna kill you. And he would retreat back up here, spend some time with his disciples. And then he would go back down here and he would push, poke that bear again, whack the hornet's nest, and he would do his kind of thing. And then just, and he would escape back up here. We left him last week here in Jerusalem, all right? And after we finished that, when that born blind man and the whole temple was in uproar, because this was like the first pub not the first public, the most public thing Jesus had done to this point. Like before that, remember, water into wine was kind of like in private. The five loaves and two fish was those people over there, but the people down here may not have heard of it or whatever it may be. Now Jesus did this thing in the temple, and they were all in uproar, and they said, this man, he's, got, he's causing serious problems. After that, Jesus has a discussion with them in John chapter 10. We won't read it, but that's where Jesus talks about, I'm the good shepherd, and I came to give my life for the sheep. And the people were so confused. The people were confused because, like, he's saying good things, but he's breaking the laws of the good people. The Pharisees are saying he's bad. So we're supposed to trust them. But he says, they were really confused. So they said, tell us, Jesus, are you from God or not from God? Like we can't can't figure you out. And he responds this way in John chapter 10, verse 24. The Jews surrounded him and said to him, how long do you plan to keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Tell us, We, we can't figure out all the signs. He says to them very simply, look, I told you. And you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name, they bear witness of me. He says, I didn't just tell you, I showed you. And if you choose not to see the signs, man, that's on you like we talked about last week. If I jump up and down here on stage and you say, I didn't see it. Well, I mean, that's not a problem with me jumping. That's a problem with your eyes. That's a problem with you choosing not to look. And that's what Jesus says right here. But for your sake, Jesus says, for your sake, I'm gonna do one more sign. And this next sign, which we're gonna read right now in John chapter 11, is so undeniable, so indisputable, so nobody can miss this one unless they stick their head in the ground. He's gonna force the hand of the Jews. And he's gonna say to them, I'm gonna do something that cannot be denied. And either you have to believe in me or you're gonna have to kill me. But those are gonna be the only two options. Because I am who I say I am. And I'm about to prove it to you. Finished in Jerusalem, Jesus now travels about a day, day and a half, maybe two days distance into an area called Berea, which is a wilderness, which is where John the Baptist was. About a day, day and a half outside of Jerusalem. And it's there that our story picks up. John chapter 11, starting in verse one. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, in the town of Mary and her sister Martha. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. I love the fact that, This is not really our message, but just imagine you be so close to Jesus that they don't even need to say your name. That a messenger comes and says, the one who you love is sick. And Mary and Martha were sure to just tell Jesus, the one who you love. He's going to know, like imagine being so close to Jesus that they didn't even need to say your name. That's what Lazarus was, the one whom you love is sick. And they knew exactly, Jesus would know who he's talking about. Verse 4, when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. We've heard this before, right? We've heard this before. Sickness. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Jesus again creates that new category, that not every sickness is necessarily a bad thing. And he says here, the sickness is for the glory of God. You see, back to my earlier question, how can a good God and evil in this world, how can a good God and pain, how can a good God and death? Jesus... Somehow Jesus believed that evil in the world doesn't negate the presence of God. It doesn't mean that God is bad. And Jesus saw that good and bad can exist, can coexist together. And one doesn't deny the other one as we sometimes foolishly think. And he creates this new category. This sickness is not unto death, is for the glory of God. He's saying you can have bad, which leads to good. Now, of course, when he said this, we don't understand this. The people back then didn't understand it. So what John does, okay, John kind of inserts himself in the story. And he's like telling, you're gonna see, he's telling like the story, telling the story, telling the story. But he inserts himself and writes like a little editorial comment because he knew that people are gonna be reading his story and gonna be like, what? Jesus said that the sickness, which we know eventually is going to lead to death. We know that that's not bad. There's no way. So John writes this little kind of like, disclaimer there's a little footnote by the way john chapter 11 verse 5 now jesus loved martha and her sister and lazarus he has to make this comment because it kind of seems like he doesn't like you come to me and say father Anthony's so and so sick and i'm like it's hey, not that big a deal don't worry it's probably it's probably good for them you think to yourself oh my goodness how insensitive and how rude but john says no, no no don't worry jesus loved them and he has to say that because what happens next gets a little bit worse verse 6 So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Of course, the logical next step. Lord, he whom you love is sick. Okay, pull up a chair. Let's hang out. Jesus, you healed total strangers. You didn't even know their name. You didn't even meet them. Why, why you leave Lazarus? Why you don't go? Why don't at least go for Mary's sake and Martha's sake? Like they sent you a note. Give them a call. Send a note back. Like, you're just going to sit here? And if we're honest, we're trying to do, tell the story. We're telling our own story here, right? We know this feeling. But God, where are you? God, you healed so-and-so and they asked. God, so-and-so, and you solved their problem. So-and-so didn't have a baby. And you gave them a baby. So-and-so's kid this. So, look, we know that story. Why not me? Don't you love me? I thought I was the one you loved. I thought I was the one you loved. I thought we were tight. God has forgotten me. We know this feeling of being forsaken by God, of God doesn't care. God is too busy. Or, of course, as we so often do, as the devil loves to do, as you must have done something really bad that he's not coming to you. Oh, because he for sure, yeah, he came to that person. He came to that person. Remember what he did with that person? He didn't come to you? Woof! Is it that Jesus didn't care? Or is it that Jesus is up to something much bigger? Much bigger. Much bigger than they could see. Much bigger than a healing. Forget the healing. This is not a random act of kindness, John is telling us. This is a sign. And Jesus is up to something big, bigger than Lazarus, bigger than your sickness, bigger than your problem, bigger than your unanswered prayer, bigger, a sign. To show who he is, his identity in this world. Verse seven. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? I think in the middle of this, there were a lot of us. Uh, 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 rabbi. We are going to Judea again? Like, are you sure that's a good idea? Like last time we were there, they tried to stone you. You know, the problem is when you're hanging out with someone who's about to get stoned, the accuracy is not always there, okay? So <laughs> you never want to be walking into a city with someone who they're going to be throwing rocks at, right? And if I'm the disciples, I'm thinking to myself, like, why go at all? Like you healed a noble- the nobleman. Remember the nobleman's son, John 4? Like you healed him from here. You didn't go with him. Like you healed him from here. Just heal Lazarus from here. Like, why we got to go in there? Why are we got to risk our lives? And why, why do specifically we have to risk our lives? Like, why? Why? This doesn't make any sense. And Jesus does what Jesus always does. Whenever Jesus gets asked a question and we want answers, Jesus always answers and says something that has nothing to do with the question. Verse 9. Are there not 12 hours in a day? And the disciples are like, Yes. Are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Okay? (laughs) Like, why do we gotta go? Are there not 12 hours of the day? What Jesus is doing, as he always does, is he's pointing to his identity. And he's saying, y'all are down here talking about death, and life, and go, and stoning. I'm talking about light of the world. Yeah, we're going into a dark place. Judea is dark. There's a lot of suffering there. There's a lot of evil there. But don't you worry, because you are not going alone. He who walks with you is the light of the world. So what Jesus says to all of us, because we go into dark places, and we go into painful places, and we go into suffering places, he says, stick with me. Trust me, I could eliminate all the evil in the world if I wanted. I could eliminate all darkness, but then I'd have to eliminate you. So instead of eliminating it, I'm going to hold your hand. And we're going to go together. And you're going to stick with me. And we're going to see darkness. Oh, we're going to see darkness. We are going to see dark days. But if you stick with the light of the world, we'll get through it. There'll be more to the story than meets the eye. Verse 11. These things he said, and after that, he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him. So Jesus now tells them, we're going. You're coming with me because our friend Lazarus needs us. He's asleep, and we need to go wake him. And then, of course, the disciples, as we would see in the next verse right here, as we oftentimes do, Jesus says we're going to go wake him. So the disciples now all of a sudden become medical experts. and They start to give Jesus medical advice. You've probably done this as well, okay, if if you're not, not alone here. The disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. You ever done that? Give Jesus medical advice? Say, hey, Jesus, in case you didn't know, my back's not feeling so good. So what you need to do is this and then that and that will solve that. Jesus, in case you didn't know, so and so sick. If you could have him healed by Thanksgiving, it'd be great. So we don't have to exchange germs and things like that. Like, if you don't, we give Jesus medical advice. And I'm sure right here, if he sleeps, he will get well. They said, Jesus, see, the research hasn't come out yet. You may not have read it, but, you know, sleep is like really good. Okay, and it's how actually like the body breaks the fever. So they start to preach to him about the importance and value of sleep. So let's just leave him sleeping. To which Jesus probably responded, great idea, Peter, hadn't thought of that. You know what I mean? Let's just like, thank you for sharing that piece of information with me. But again, let's go back to the topic. Jesus spoke, verse 13, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. And then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. To which his disciples are thinking, what? A minute ago, we asked you, you said his sickness will not lead to death like a minute ago. The sickness is not unto death as a minute ago. And now all of a sudden you're saying Lazarus is dead. Like what's going on here, Jesus? And then the next verse, before I show you the next verse, this to show you, we're talking good God, evil world, good God, evil world. The next verse is so bad. It's so insensitive. It's so rude. Only Jesus could say it. What Jesus says next is so bad for Mary and Martha and the mourners, but what we're going to see it's so good for us. You ready? Lazarus is dead. And I am glad. I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. Who could say that other than Jesus? Mary, your brother just died. I'm glad I wasn't there. Martha, you're struggling. Don't know how to make sense of this evil. Glad I wasn't there. Glad I wasn't there to heal him. Glad I wasn't there to comfort you. Glad I wasn't there to explain it. Glad I wasn't there to even put my arm around your shoulder. I'm glad I wasn't there. Why? I'm glad I wasn't there for your sakes, for their sakes. But you know whose sakes I'm glad for? I'm glad for the sake of every parent who ever had to bury a child. I'm glad for their sakes that I wasn't there. I'm glad for the sake of everyone, every spouse who's struggling with a sick spouse and doesn't know when it's gonna end or what's gonna happen next. I'm glad for their sake I wasn't there. I'm glad for everyone who's had to bury a brother or a sister or a friend way, 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 way too early for their sakes. Martha, Mary, I know it's hard for you, but for their sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. What Jesus does here is Jesus, I'm going to use this expression, manufactures a sign, he manufactures a crisis and a sign. Manufactures it, didn't need to. He manufactures it. For the sake of every single person right here. For you, for you, for you, for you, 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 you. For your sakes. For my sake. He says, I'm a manufacturer's sign. So I'm, 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 it's hard for Mary and Martha. I know. But I'm glad. Because future generations will be able to understand how a good God can allow evil in this world because of this sign. I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. That you may believe that's the sign aspect that we're talking about nevertheless let us go to him verse 16 then thomas this is a funny verse then thomas who is called the twin said to his fellow disciples let us also go that we may die with him thomas basically saying the whole thing's up the whole thing's over there's no point lazarus is dead jesus is dead we're dead like let's just all go and die like we're all dead meat basically like It's over. It was a nice run while it lasted. Like Jesus is convinced he's going. We got no shot. Let's just all go and die with him together. That's them in the wilderness of Berea, and they start to journey. Now let's go back to Bethany. What's happening in Bethany at this point in time? It's now been two or three days since Lazarus died, what they thought originally was when the messenger left Bethany to go to Jesus. Lazarus was only sick. But what we we know from the story is that on the journey, that Lazarus died, so Lazarus actually been dead now for two days, three days, and you can imagine Mary and Martha. What are they thinking? Oh, Jesus is coming. Jesus will be here any day. Jesus will be here any minute. Kind of like you know in all the Superman movies, Lois Lane knows. She knows. It's just a matter like he's gonna swoop in at the end. Superman's coming. Superman's coming. Cause I saw him do it with the nobleman's son. I saw him heal that blind man. I saw him do did with the five loaves and two fish. This is Lazarus, the one who you love like the one you ate at our house, Lord. Okay, we supported you in your ministry, probably financially. We had dinner together. Like, we are tight. Of course Jesus is coming. Of course Jesus is gonna be here to save the day. Of course. And the first day passed. And the second day passed. Now the third day's coming to an end. The messenger has returned without Jesus. Did he send a note? No. Did he say he's coming? No. Did he even look like he cared? And the messenger would say, to be honest, no. And they get to the end of that third day. And Jewish custom, they gotta bury it. So they bury him. Jesus isn't there. You've been there, right? Where are you, Jesus? You've been there. I don't need to tell this to you. You've been there. Where are you? Not even a message. Not even like a like. Not even attend the funeral. Okay, you're not going to heal him. You didn't even attend the funeral. You didn't send condolences. You didn't come just to put your arm around my shoulder, say it's going to be okay. Preach a sermon. Tell me something. You just left me. You forgot me. I'm not important. I'm sure Mary and Martha asked themselves the same question that you've asked yourself. God, don't you realize how hard this is? You've asked that before, right? Don't you realize? Don't you realize how hard this is for me? How dark this is? Don't you realize? It gets worse. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been dead in the tomb four days, to which his disciples are like, oh my goodness this is humiliating what are we supposed to say? we just sat there for two days we didn't come, we didn't, attend, we didn't attend the funeral, we didn't oh, this is humiliating Martha hears that Jesus is on his way, she runs out to meet him, and Martha, as she always does Martha's honest, she says exactly what many of us would be thinking, exactly what many of us want to say Martha says it in verse 20 Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. Now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. God bless Martha. She says what all of us are thinking. She says, it's your fault. And I'm thankful That we may—we've all thought this—that this is your fault, God, and I'm thankful. That doesn't mean there's something wrong with you and your faith. If you've ever wanted to say, "God, where were you? You messed up. This is your fault. You should have been here." But even now, verse 22. Even now, even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. One verse, she says, "God, I'm frustrated." God, I'm kind of annoyed, I'm kind of bitter. Jesus, where are you? But even now, you know that verse that talks about faith? And Jesus said, you don't need a lot of faith. How much faith do you need to move a mountain? Just a mustard seed, this is a mustard seed. And sometimes that's all you got, but you know what? That's okay. Sometimes that's all you're hanging on to in your marriage is a mustard seed, but that's okay. All you're hanging on to is a mustard seed. Say, God, I don't know why, I don't know how. I don't know what was going on here. But even now, I believe. I don't even know why I believe. But I believe. Martha held on to that little mustard seed of faith. And that's what got her through. And that's all it it takes. Jesus responds. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again, verse 23. And I'm sure Martha, you've been there before. You've been in a mourning state. You've been in a sad state. And someone comes and starts preaching the gospel to you, right? She's thinking to herself, oh, here we go. Jesus, with all my due respect, I don't need preacher mode right here. Your brother will rise again. I don't need a Sunday school lesson. I don't need a theology. I don't need a verse. I don't need a sermon. I want my brother. So with all my due respect, no thank you to the sermon. Now's not the time. We can save that till later. That's what she says right here in verse 24. Martha said, I know, I know, I know that he will rise again and the resurrection at the last day. I don't need a sermon. I don't need a Bible verse. I just need to be given some time to grieve. I know. And then the next verse, stick with me. here. As you can tell, I enjoy getting into these stories. But as I'm getting into this story, there's one verse. I don't think no matter what I do up here on this stage can paint the true picture. Because I think there's an emotion in this story which is really hard to grasp. But in the midst of this, Jesus looks at her. And he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He says to her, Martha, stick with me here, Martha, look at me. I'm not talking about resurrection at the end. I'm the resurrection. Pointing again to his identity, saying, Martha, I know you think I'm a miracle worker, and I am but I'm much more than a miracle worker. You think I'm a healer, and I am, but I'm much more than a healer. I'm more than a feeder. I'm more than a friend. I'm more than a magic genie that your Robin asked for three wishes. I'm all those things, but I'm more. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the light of the world that in the midst of all this darkness, and today is a very dark day for you, I get it, Martha, but I'm light, and if you stick with me, you stick with me, You will find clarity for your unanswered questions. You will know things and you will have confidence in things that everyone else is like, how could God allow evil? How could God allow evil? And you will be the only one who can make sense of it because if you know who I am, everything makes sense. And if you don't know who I am, nothing makes sense. Those are the only two options. I am the resurrection and the life. Then he goes on. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And this is, again, one of those things that Jesus says and nobody understood and we don't understand. Jesus, again, trying to flip people's mind. He's saying, you know, the one who's dead, he'll live, and the one who's alive, he'll die. And he'll say, you know what? If you believe, even if you die, you're not dead. And of course, they could not have comprehended this. But basically, what he's saying to them is, light of the world, no matter what the darkness, there's always more to the story. There's always more to the story. There's always a layer that you don't see on the surface if you just if you don't know the light of the world. But if you have light... You have clarity, makes sense. And then he says this. Do you believe this? And I ask you, do you? A couple weeks ago, I remember we were talking about, I don't remember which story, and I was saying about how all of Jesus' stories are a lifetime in a day. A lifetime in a day. Remember we talked about the blind man, how he walked by faith, not by sight, literally? That's like every day of our lives. Here we are again. Dark world, here comes Jesus. Trust me, light of the world do you believe? It's not easy to believe. Jesus, I believe in you and I love you, but there's a tomb with my brother in it. And it is really hard to see that, isn't it? Like, isn't it hard to look at the pain in our, in our own lives, see our sick children? See the evil in the world? See those unanswered prayers? Like, it's hard. Like, God, I am trying. But it is hard to see the evil and believe that you're good. But she musters as much faith as she can. And she digs deep, 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 deep inside. And she says, kind of like we talked about a few weeks ago, I realize I don't need to understand everything in order to believe something. I don't need to understand everything in order to believe something. I don't understand everything, but I choose to believe something. Verse 27, she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who's come into the world. And God bless you, Martha. Martha, God bless you. What she just said right there is, I don't know why, I don't have answers, and I don't know how I'm gonna explain this to my sister and everyone else. But I know who you are. You are who you say you are, and I don't understand it, but I don't need to understand to believe. I choose to believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, who is to come into the world. And she goes back now to her family and tells Mary, her sister, says, Mary, the teacher's here, Jesus has come. And she has this conversation with her, and then Mary runs out and has almost the exact same words with Jesus, which means clearly they had been discussing this. Fast forward to verse 32. Mary, when she came where Jesus was, saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had not been here, I'm sorry, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Exact same words. But what I want to point your attention to right here is one of the beautiful things you may not have ever seen this is Mary and Martha. We know the story about how Martha, when she served, Mary sat at Jesus' feet. Martha served, Mary at Jesus' feet, Mary at Jesus' feet, Mary at Jesus' feet. Look here in a crisis where Mary finds herself again at Jesus' feet. Because who you are when times are good is who you are you will be when times are bad. You cannot muster up. a a relationship with God when the storms hit. So if you have no idea where the feet of God are and you have no idea where prayer is and you have no connection with God, please, for my sake, there's gonna come a point in time where you're going to need it. So now is when you practice it. You don't wait till it's raining to buy an umbrella. You know the umbrellas, you know the rain is coming, you get the umbrella. Mary lived her whole life at the feet of Jesus, crisis hits and she went back to that same space. That was her comfort place and that's where she ended up here in front of Jesus. She tells him this, Verse 33, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Now this groan right here, okay, other translations, okay, talk not just, this groan is not just a groan. Others translations will say he became indignant. There's an anger element to it. It's not just grief like mourning. It means that he looked at the situation, at death and at darkness, and he got angry. He got indignant, not because of Lazarus, because he knows Lazarus is about to raise again about what sin had done to his creation. I'll give you a nice quote right here. From Father Lawrence Farley, who writes about this, saying why Jesus was groaning in the spirit, why he was angry. It wasn't just because of Lazarus, it was because of the situation of mankind. He says, this man bearing the image and beauty of God was meant to stand radiant and eternal, bound heart to heart with unbreakable bonds as one shining family, triumphant in the love of God. And here, death had worked its woe and torn down all the work of God. All that was left on earth of that shining and radiant vision was a scattered collection of weeping women, wailing to break the heart, clawing the dust, rending their robes in grief, powerless to stop the worms from eating the flesh of their family. Jesus is mourning and grieving, not just at Lazarus, but at the big picture of his beloved children made to live. But then he saw them in death and darkness. Jesus enters into that. And then the next verse, back to our story. I'm gonna show you the next verse. The next verse, only two, two words long. It's the shortest verse in all the Bible. And I'm thankful this next verse exists. And I'm thankful that whoever, you know, when the gospel writers wrote, like when the, when the Bible was written, it's not written like, okay, verse one. Okay, then verse two, verse three. It was just written as a letter. And then when they, when they translated it, they broke it up into verses. And sometimes there'll be like seven lines, that's a verse. But somehow these next two words, whoever was breaking it up into verses and chapters said, these deserve their own verse, their own number. And I want you to picture the scene. I want you to picture Jesus in front of the tomb. He's now arrived, Mary, Martha, mourners everywhere. He's standing in front of the tomb. There's weeping and wailing all around. Jesus knows 1,000% what is about to happen, which is Lazarus is about to be raised. He knows what he's going to do. But he pauses to enter into the story with the mourners. Jesus wept. I would call this divine empathy. That just as he did in his incarnation, just as he does every day. In the midst of darkness and evil and suffering, he doesn't just wave a magic wand and say, healed. He enters. Jesus entered into history when the world was so dark. He didn't just stand above and say, what's wrong with you people? He didn't come as a king and ride around giving orders. He rolled up his sleeves and he entered as a man. You think you've experienced pain? You think you've seen loneliness? You think you've been betrayed? You think you've suffered? He did all those things and it was worse than yours. You know why? Because remember, asking the question, Have you ever done bad? He's the only one who could say no. So he entered into all that suffering and all that evil and all that darkness, and he was 1,000% innocent. Imagine how bad it would be. You say, I'm suffering at work. I'm suffering at home. I'm suffering. Imagine how bad it would be if you lost your job because I cheated the office. You lost your job because I stole the Post-it's notes. If you lost your house because I didn't pay my bill. If you went to jail because I lied in front of the court. Imagine how that kind of darkness is. That's the kind of darkness that Jesus felt. But that's Jesus. He enters in. He didn't remove the pain. He could have. He didn't remove the darkness. He could have. But then again, that meant he would have had to remove you. He enters in. And he weeps with those who weep. And he feels what they feel, just like he does with the rest of us. There's a verse that St. Peter wrote in his epistle. It's 1 Peter 5-7, where St. Peter said, You can cast all your care upon him for he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your care upon him for he cares for you. Cast all your care upon him. And I'm sure when Peter wrote that, some people were like, I can cast my care, like my little trivial details, like those small little insignificant things. I talked to God about those. And St. Peter would say, yes, you know why I know that? Because I was there at the tomb, Mary and Martha, and I saw him weep. And I saw that the weeping had nothing to do with anything. And he could have just come in and done the miracle, but he paused, he paused the story to grab them by the hand. And to enter into the story with them to feel what they felt. And yes, I have confidence that you can cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Let's keep going with the story here. Verse 36. And the Jews said, See how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Again, this is the hard part of the story. It's hard to escape. That if Jesus loved me, why didn't he solve? And that's what they're saying here. If Jesus loved, how come he didn't solve? And Jesus just, again goes past this. I'm doing something bigger than you can possibly imagine. Verse 38. Then Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. And the crowd went. Bee. And the mourners who had been weeping fell silent. Take away the stone. And Martha, again, as she always does, she's Martha. She's the best. Martha says what well, we're all thinking. She's like Jesus. Uh, Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said, uh, Lord, uh, FYI, by this time, there is a stench. For he has been dead four days. Old English say, by this time, he stinketh. That's King James Version. Lord, by this time, there's a stench. In other words, to say, Jesus, you missed it. You had your chance. You're late. It's over. It's over. Jesus' response. Did I not say to you, Jesus says to her, did I not say to you, and he say this to us, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. We've heard this before, right? Did I not say to you that if you would believe? Again, he points back to his identity. Believe in me. I know there's a, I know. believe in me. Stick with me. Darkness, light. Darkness, light. Two coexist. The sisters, say Okay. He wants to roll the stone back. They tell the people, let him roll the stone back. And I'm sure when they started to roll that stone back, everyone did this. One step back. And then Jesus, they took the stone away from the place where the dead man was. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to say this prayer right now, but I'm not really praying for the sake of my sake. I'm praying for the sake of the people around me that they know who I am because this is a sign to point to my identity. It's bigger than Lazarus. I'm manufacturing a sign that future generations would know that I am the light of the world. Good can exist and evil as long as light enters in there with them. Then in verse 43, now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And again, I'm inserting myself from the story and I'm just making this stuff up, but I would imagine... That John, as he's writing this thing, or like, again, most likely John was older, okay? Or he was older, and most likely he didn't write it. He dictated it to his disciple. And d- d- the disciple is writing this thing. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And then John is thinking to himself, or he said probably said this out loud, and you won't believe what happened next. You won't believe. And John would say, I myself wouldn't believe it unless I saw it with my own eyes. And we all saw it, and no one could imagine when Jesus said, roll the stone away, Lazarus, come forth. You can't imagine what happened in the next moment. He who had died, verse 44, came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. You couldn't have imagined it. Lazarus walked out that bad boy of a tomb, and he started walking around, and we all went, ugh. And then John states the obvious, the most, you know, the the captain obvious statement of the day. Then next verse, many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen these things Jesus did, (laughs) believed in him. Oh, I'll bet they did. (laughs) I'll bet they did. You see Lazarus walk out that tomb. Remember, Lazarus has been dead now four days. This is different than every other dead person that Jesus raised. When Jesus raised the dead people before, they died, Jesus healed them on the spot, they rose. They died, Jesus healed them on the spot. This is different. Lazarus has been dead four days. What do you think happens when someone's been in a tomb for four days? The Jews knew it, everyone knew it. The body had already started to decay. Decomposition had already set in, the worms, the whatever it may be. So Lazarus coming out of the tomb after four days means that when he unwrapped the stuff and he looked normal, it means Jesus literally, I mean this word literally, He literally was undoing death in front of their eyes. He didn't just raise someone who had been dead for a few minutes. He took a person who had been in decay and and, and started to decompose and he undid the power of death in front of the whole wide world. Indisputable. How can you argue that? What are you gonna say now? Well, the Jews, like I said, Sometimes you don't want to see and What the Jews did, the Jews said, we got, we got to do something about this guy. We got to kill him or else we risk believing in him. It's too risky to leave him alive because every day we ourselves are getting more convinced that he actually may be the real deal. We need to kill him. And the Jews got together. Verse 47, And the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, which is a funny statement, as if they let him do this, okay? Jesus didn't need permission. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Oh, you foolish, foolish nation. You were so worried about losing your little nation, which you didn't even have, and so worried about the Romans getting upset at you, which they already hated your guts and they already took it away. You were so focused on what you had to lose that you missed out on what you could have gained. Where does that leave us? Y'all are smart people. I consider you, everyone here, very smart, very educated, people who know how to think. So you know, because you're a smart person, that you can convince yourself of just about anything you want. You tell me what you want to believe. You can find a documentary on Netflix to prove it. You can find a Bible verse. You can find like you can find, whatever it is that you want to prove whatever it is you want. We are able to convince ourselves whatever we want. And throughout history, people have done that. They have believed in the unbelievable and denied the undeniable because they chose that they didn't want to see. But what we looked at in this series, what John is telling us, if you'd have seen what I seen, you'd have heard what I heard, you'd have no doubt that Jesus is God in the flesh. Like we so often, we talk about the divinity of Christ. Okay, in the early church, when the church first started, People struggled to accept his divinity. And those are all the heresies of the early centuries was he couldn't have been divine. He couldn't have been divine. And then the church fought. No, he's 100% divine. But I'll tell you what the modern heresy is today, I think, is that we deny his humanity. And we struggled to see that Jesus was a man just like me and you were a man, but he was not a man like me and you were a man because he was God. He lived on this earth. He had disciples. They followed him around. They wrote their account. He said wild things. He did even more wild things. He backed up everything that he said, and because he is who he says he is, that's all we need to know. And John says this. We'll go back where we started. John says, truly, Jesus did many other signs. This is our theme verse for this series. Jesus did many other signs, many other signs. There's not enough paper to write all the signs Jesus did in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, you may have life in his name. said in the very beginning that the the sequence of events is this, that John and all the disciples, but we're looking specifically at St. John, experienced certain things that led him to believe. And now we come along, and we hear his witness. And now it's our turn to believe, and if we believe, we will experience his experience led to his belief, which leads to our belief, which will lead to our experience. And that's what I throw at you right now. I'll leave you with that as we finish up this series, is where is your challenge of faith? Everyone has a challenge of faith. Maybe you right here, you're like, you're like the Mary and Martha right here in the Lazarus story. You're struggling, good God, evil world, good God, all this pain, good God, all this suffering. And I challenge you say, take a step of faith. Put your faith that he is who he says he is, and he is the light of the world, and it's just a matter of time, just a matter of time before he shows you through it. Maybe you're like back to the nobleman's son. Remember when Jesus gave the man a word and said, trust me, go, your son lives. And he said, go. And maybe that's what we are with a command from God that we don't know what to do with it. And it's it's hard, but you know what? We're going to take that step of faith and we're going to believe. Maybe you are like the Jews when we talked about the paralyzed man. Okay. And the Jews who had their agenda, remember their agenda and they didn't want to see because they wanted to kind of convince themselves of what they wanted to be right. You want a certain lifestyle to be right. And you're not willing to see what Jesus really has to say about it. So you already got your mind made up and you just need a verse or two to prove it. Maybe that's where you're at. I tell you, challenge your, or maybe like last week, you're struggling to believe in that which you cannot explain. And I say, you do not need to understand everything in order to believe something. Whatever it is, put it in front of God, just like Martha did. Even now, put it in front of God. I believe even now that you are the Christ, the son of God who is to come into the world. Let's stand up together and say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you are the light of the world, and you sent your Son into this world, that we would not stumble around in darkness, but we'd have the light of life with us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to cling to that light. We need it so badly, Lord, and give us the faith to take the step that you want us to take. And that you're calling us to take today. We pray this in the name of your Son, with the intercessions of all your saints. Here as we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.